says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent, sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. The word of the Lord. Well, today is the feast day of St. Barnabas. Barnabas was a prominent Christian disciple in Jerusalem. And later he travelled with Paul and became an apostle in his own right. Now, who knows the meaning of his name? Son of encouragement. Now, his name was actually his nickname. His real name was Joseph. But because he was such a, a, an encourager, the word Barnabas in Greek means encourager. And so they called him Barnabas, son of encourager, or son of constellation, or son of exhortation, or son of comfort. Now Barnabas knew what it meant to be thankful. His disposition, his posture was always orientated towards thankfulness. So this morning our scripture reading echoes the same posture of thankfulness. The psalmists tell us, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. In Matthew, uh, Matthew proclaims the new thing. He proclaims the kingdom of ha God is at hand. And so throughout our scripture readings, we have this great symphony of thanksgiving. Jeremiah 29 verses 4 to 6 says, Thus say the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive from whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminish. So ever since the beginning of creation, when the first creatures came from the hand of God, there has always been someone somewhere unhappy with his or hers position in life, right? And so it all started with an angel named Lucifer, the bright star in all of the heavens. He was not satisfied to be the apex of God's creation. He wanted something more than his assigned position as the greatest of all created beings. His seething discontentment caused him to lead a rebellion against the, mighty, against the most high God. And one third of the angels, the scriptures tell us, joined him in his abortive quest to overthrow the throne of the Lord. For his rebellion, he and his followers were kicked out of heaven. And ever since that dark day, he has been known as Satan, the devil. And he has been the relentless foe of God and all of God's works and all that God loves. It was this discontentment that made him do that. And discontentment has been one of his best weapons ever since against the church and against the people of God. His earliest, earliest triumph came in the Garden of Eden when he sowed seeds of discontentment in Eve's unsuspecting heart. By misquoting the Lord... He made Eve think that God had somehow, was somehow trying to cheat her out of, uh, out of a blessing, somehow trying to cheat her 
trying to keep her down, to keep her from being like a god. So Eve took the fruit and ate it. She gave it to her husband Adam and he ate it. And sin entered the human bloodstream. The seed of discontentment brought forth the bitter harvest of disobedience, which led to the loss of paradise and to the entrance of evil into our world. Now, ever since then, we have been an unhappy race. After Eden, we have, been, we, we have never been fully satisfied with anything on earth. And we're still not satisfied all these thousands and thousands and thousands of years later. We always want something different. If you're young, you want to be older. If you're old, you want to be younger. If it's old, you want something new. If it's new, you want something newer. If it's small, you want something bigger. If it's big, you want something really big. If you have $100, we want $200, don't we? If we have $200, we want $500. If we have an apartment, we want a house. If we have a house, we, have, we want a bigger house. Or a newer house. Or a nicer house. Or maybe we want to scale down and live in an apartment again. If we have a job, we want a we want to dream, we dream of a better job, don't we? Or a bigger job or a closer job. Or one with a bigger office or a better boss. Or more challenge or bigger opportunities or nicer people to work with. If we're single, we dream of being married. And if we're married, I'll let you finish that sentence. <laughs> I'm not going there. <laughs> None of this is unusual in any way, is it? We're born discontented. And some of us stay that way forever. Just turn to the person next to you and say, I think the pastor's talking about you. <laughs> a certain amount of discontentment can be good for the soul. It's not wrong to have dreams about what the future might hold, the hope of something better that drives us forward and keeps us working, keeps us inventing, keeps us striving, uh, uh, creates innovation, it creates us, keeps us innovating. One man said these words, discontentment is the first necessity of progress. Discontentment is the first necessity of progress. But there's a kind of discontentment, brothers and sisters, that leads us in a wrong direction. Here are five signs that discontentment is dragging us down spiritually. The first is envy, the inability to rejoice at the success of others. The second is uncontrolled ambition, the desire to win at all costs, no matter what it takes or what, 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 whoever gets trampled on in that process. The third is a critical spirit, the tendency to make negative and hurtful cutting remarks about others. The fourth is a complaining spirit, the disposition to make excuses and blame others or bad circumstances for life's problems. A refusal to take personal responsibility. The, the inability to be thankful for what we already have. And lastly is outbursts of anger. Angry words spoken because our expectations were not met. The five signs of discontentment, any one of them, any one of those will drag you down spiritually and damage your soul this morning. If you are around people or being influenced by a person who exhibits any one of these signs, move away. 
Move away and stay out of their company. The discontented person looks around and says, I deserve something better than this. Because they're never happy, they're never satisfied, they will always drag you and anyone they can into the swamp with them. They will dribble stuff into your ear. They will try to recruit you to their cause. They will try to enlist you into their hurt, into their anguish. Contentment makes a poor man rich, one man said, and discontentment makes a rich man poor. Discontentment is a thief. Discontentment is a robber. It is a destroyer. Discontentment is cancer to your soul this morning. It eats away at your joy. It will steal away any thankfulness, any gratitude you have. It will corrode your happiness. It will destroy uh, your outlook on life. And it will produce a terminal jaundice in your soul so that everything, everything looks negative. We cannot be happy because we will not be happy. We cannot be satisfied because we will not be satisfied. And such a person is truly a lost soul this morning. Miserable today and miserable tomorrow. So how can we overcome this debilitating condition? I believe the answer, as always, lies in good theology and in a good understanding of God. Sin always stems from a wrong thinking of God. You can mark that down, write that down in the cover of your Bible this morning. That sin always comes from a wrong understanding about God, about yourself and about life in general. <coughs> Jeremiah 29 contains some amazingly helpful insights about discontentment, about ourselves and about life in general, even though the word itself is never used in that text. So here's our first thought this morning. You are where you are because God wants you there. The background of Jeremiah 29, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah writes a letter from Jerusalem to the Jewish exiles in faraway Babylon. Now, Jewish people who were basically, they were, they were prisoners of war. They were taken captive and they were dumped uh, in what is now uh, modern-day Iraq. They felt abandoned, they felt rejected, they felt unloved, they felt uh, uh, discouraged, they felt <coughs> forgotten. How could they ever sing the songs of Zion while living in a pagan land? Psalm 137 verses 1 and 4 says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Now, the, those of you who are baby boomers are now singing the Boney M song. Probably won't be able to get that out of your mind now. <laughs> How could we ever find hope knowing that their own foolish choices had put them in Babylon? Remember, we said sin and its consequences always stem from a wrong thinking about God. So how could they find the courage to go on when God had said, you will be in exile for 70 years? Because that's what he said to them through Jeremiah, that you will be in exile for 70 years. 
the answer to their concern of abandonment, the answer to their concern of rejection and discouragement is found in verse 4 of our text, where the Lord says, I carried you to Babylon. I carried you to Babylon. Here's one of the Bible's clearest statements this morning on God's sovereignty. Although the hated Babylonians had captured them, being the pagan army, uh, being a pagan army, God, uh, the pagan army stood. Uh, the pagan army stood behind the Lord Himself in this situation, because God said, "I did it. I did it." Says the Lord. He says, "Don't blame the Babylonians. They were merely and my instrument and to, and did my will. You sinned and brought this judgment on yourself, but I am I am the one who carried you to Babylon." To say it this way doesn't cancel out human choices this morning and the very real consequences of our sin. It merely points out that things are not always as they seem on the surface. The exiles definitely had vivid memories of the shock and vivid memories of the pain and the shame of being wrenched from their homeland. And on top of that ordeal, being carried away to Babylon. But God says there's a lot more going on here than you know. I warned you that this would happen. You ignored me. And now what I said has now come to pass. If you want to blame anyone, blame yourself. Don't blame the Babylonians. They were acting on my command, though they did not realize that. Solomon says these very succinct words in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. He says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The Jews never planned to end up in Babylon. In fact, that would have been the very last place that they intended to go. But the Lord determined that that would be their destination for the next 70 years. Now, I said all that to ask you this question. Is there any consolation? Now, how you answer that question all depends on what you believe about God this morning. Is there any consolation? If you don't believe that God involves himself in the affairs of life, then, then it won't matter, will it? It won't matter because you won't see the hand of God at work even in the darkest moments. But if you believe God is God and God is a God of details, that it makes all the sense in the world to know that he takes personal responsibility for allowing certain things to happen. The things that you and I regard as catastrophes or as tragedies. Dr. Tony Evans said these words, he says, everything in the universe is either caused by God or allowed by God. And there is no third category. Let me read that out again. Everything in the universe is either caused by God or allowed by God. There is no third category. That statement is huge this morning because many of us create a third category, don't we? Some, th some, some things like really bad things that happen for no reason at all. We say stuff like that. Really bad things happen for no reason at all. There's no such category this morning. You were... You, you, you are where you are right now because God wants you there. You may be happy about the current circumstances. You may be miserable about your current circumstances. Most likely you are somewhere in between. It really doesn't matter. But you are where you are at this moment 
because God wants you there. How do I know that? Because if God wanted you somewhere else, you'd be somewhere else. And when, and when he does want you somewhere else, that's where you'll be. If God is God, all this must be true this morning. When God said, I carried you to Babylon, he wants his children to know that though they had sinned grievously, he has, got, he has not forgotten them. He has not forgotten them. He carried them to Babylon, partly as judgment and partly as a sign of mercy. They certainly understood the judgment part. They would understand the mercy part much later. Sometimes the most we can do is say something like, I know I'm here because God wants me here. I don't know why, but I know I am not here by chance. And you will make great strides in your life and in your faith if you can only say that much this morning. Even if you can't say anything else, if you can say that much, I know I'm here because God wants me here. I don't know why, but I know I'm not here by chance this morning. So number one, you are where you are because God wants you there. And this sets up our second thought, and that is you are called to make the most of your present circumstances. In verses 5 and 6 of Jeremiah chapter 9, God gives specific direction to the exiles in Babylon. In, it definitely was not what they were expecting to hear, though. It says, build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may increase there and not diminish. What they wanted was God to say something like, my children, I know you don't like living in Babylon, so I have some very good news for you. Sit tight, stay out of trouble, do your time. Before you know it, you will be going home again. That's what they wanted to hear. But that's not what God said. His advice was very different. He says, you're going to be here for a long time. 70 years to be exact. And since you won't be coming home early, it's important that you make the best of your situation. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat of their produce, marry and have sons and daughters. Let your children get married and have children and increase in number. Do not decrease. Do not diminish. God's command is simply bloom where you have been planted. You may not like where you are, but that doesn't matter. As I, as I have planted or transplanted you into Babylon, go ahead and put your roots down. Buy some land. Build a nice house. Plant your gardens, go into business, build a community. In every hard situation, we must face the same question. Are we going to complain or are we going to get busy? Are we going to grumble and are we going to take our talent or our offering and invest it in the future of what God is doing? Are we going to find fault and are we going to protest or are we going to give thanks? And put our lives and our hands in the sovereign God. Remember, everything in the universe is either caused by God or allowed by God. There is no third category this morning. God says, you're in Babylon now. Make the best of it. 
Don't complain. Don't mope. Don't spend your days pining away for Jerusalem. You, you, you're not going back there for 70 years. And some of you will never see Jerusalem again. I've put you in Babylon for a reason. Don't waste a single moment looking back on what used to be. Use your energies to make your life better now. And that's really good advice this morning, isn't it? Even for 21st century Christians, that's very, very good advice. Over the last 37 years, I have done a lot of thinking about the way God leads his children. And one thing is for certain this morning. The will of God is not a destination this morning. It's a journey. The will of God this morning is not a destination, it's a journey. It's lived out in the moments that we have, not long-term or long-range plans. The will of God is lived out in the moments that we have because we never really arrive in this life this morning. It's always easy and dangerous to play the if-only game. How many have played the if-only game? I'll put two hands up. If only I were married, I'd be happy. If only I could get a new job, I'd be happy. If only I had graduated from college, I'd be happy. If only I could retire in Florida, I'd be really happy. If only I could make more money, I'd be happy. If only I could move to a new home, I'd be happy. But life generally doesn't work like that, does it? And discontentment takes over. Thankfulness. It takes over and, 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 it, and, and it, uh, it squashes thankfulness and gratefulness in our life because we are always looking for something to make us happy. Many years ago, on one of those late night talk shows, I saw an interview with Mel Gibson, who I'm not a fan of, by the way. But he said something profound about his rehab stint in, in, in his rehab stint for alcohol addiction. He made a profound observation about the importance of living one day at a time. He says, you can't live in the future, he said. That's a bad place to live. So how do we live a life that is thankful, that, that is giving, that is full of gratitude? Number one. You are where you are because God wants you there. Number two, you are called by God to make the most of your present circumstances. And thirdly, and finally, you and I must come to grips with reality. Once again, this, points, this point follows on from the last point. If we're going to settle down in Babylon and make the best of what looks like a bad situation, we must come to grips with reality. This may be the hardest thing for all of us to do this morning. Sometimes the best thing that sometimes the best thing that can happen is that we get a cold slap of reality right in our face. Uh, a wake-up call to God's provision right now. Right now. You and I owe it to ourselves and to others not to live in fantasy land that is created by discontentment. Your children and your grandchildren will be blessed if they see you make the best of your own situation right now. God told the exiles to settle down and build something for themselves in Babylon. And he told them to have children and have grandchildren and to increase and not decrease. There's a generational blessing this morning that is evoked in thankfulness. There's a generational blessing this morning that is evoked in gratitude. 
Blessed are the sons and daughters who see their parents and their grandparents make the best of a situation this morning. Some of us get messed up right at this point. Some of us react badly right at this point. We feel bad about the past and therefore we never move forward. One man said these words, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift of God, which is why we call it the present. I would have got a laugh for that one in Australia. You don't get it? We get, oh, okay. It's just a tough audience. Okay, I get it. <laughs> the key to a better future is to try to stop having a better past. Amen? The key to a better future is to try to stop having a better past. So here's a deep theological truth about the past. Are you ready for it? It is what it is. That's it. That is a deep theological truth. You can't change it. You can't delete it. You cannot improve it. But you can accept it and you can move on. You can move on from it. And thanksgiving and gratitude fuel and propel us in that right direction. It fuels and propels us in a forward motion. God bless the brave souls who embraced reality with courage, who accept the past for what it is, and who move forward with energetic gratitude and faith in God. So what's the bottom line this morning? You are where you are by the sovereign choice of God. He sees you. He is not surprised by your situation. Number two, you can serve the Lord where you are right now in gratitude. Number three, you can glorify the Lord where you are right now with thanksgiving. And number four, if you complain, you are in, a disagree you are in disagreement with the Lord and not serving him. This is the bottom line. So the question comes down to this. Do you, do you believe in God or do you not? Do you believe in God or don't you? Do you, believe it, do you believe God will give you what you need right now so that you can serve him where you are right now? There is a sense in which when you complain and dwell in discontentment, at that point, you no longer believe in God. That is, on one level, you certainly do believe in God, but by your, discontent, your discontented complaining, you're denying God the truth that you claim to believe. If you can't do anything, if, 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 you, if you can't do anything you would like to do or you haven't got things you really want, you can be joyful and accept the situation as being from the hand of the Lord. You can always pray. You can always praise. You can always sing in your heart to the Lord. You can always give thanks to the Lord. So, how should we apply the truth from this passage for us today in a 21st, situa 21st century situation? Bloom where you're planted. Serve the Lord right where you are. Stop moping. Don't let your emotional life live in the past or even in the future. Let God define your life, not your earthly circumstances. 
don't accept, don't, don't accept change, uh, to, uh, don't expect change, sorry, this morning to make you happy. Never forget that you won't be here or there forever. So finally, that brings us to a very important spiritual truth. The only thing that matters is knowing Jesus this morning and through him growing closer day by day to God. Nothing else matters. And if we know God in Christ, then we're, of all people on planet Earth, the most blessed and highly favoured people. Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to the God the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every, every, not some, every spiritual blessing in Christ. And if, if you are here this morning and you, do not, you don't know Christ, then the rest of your life won't satisfy your deepest longings and needs. True happiness and contentment will slip through your fingers like dry sand. Christ must be the centre of life or else the limits of your life will never satisfy you. Circumstances, even happy ones, can never replace the soul's longing for the Lord this morning. Now seen in that light, discontentment is a grievous sin because it is an attempt to overthrow God. It is an attack on the sovereign Lord who sits on the throne of the universe. And when you complain against the Lord, you are repeating Satan's mistake. It's the first great rebellion played out in your own heart. And you will not be any more successful than Lucifer was. Read the last page of the Bible. Doesn't end well for Lucifer. I would like you to consider the following sentences very carefully. The two sentences very carefully. If I'm in Jerusalem, I will serve in Jerusalem. If I'm in Babylon, I will serve in Babylon. This is, this, this is true no matter where you are. It's not about geography this morning. It's about your heart. If God has put you in Babylon, serve him there. Build houses, plant a garden. Start a business, have some children, have some grandchildren, settle down and enjoy life. So how do we live in Satan's postcode? How do we live in the city of man? Do not assimilate. Do not fight. Settle in. Be a blessing. Live with gratitude. Sow financial seed into your faith community and know that God is working out his purpose. It is God who goes before us this morning, beloved. You can serve God in Babylon just as well as you can serve him in Jerusalem. It's a hard lesson, but it is also good news if we are to receive from the Lord this morning. So let us pray. God of hope, how often have we found ourselves in exile, separated from your presence? Restore us and let us find you when we seek you. And this we pray in the strong and mighty name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
All stand if you're able and let us confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty. 